Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request and I am your host, Justin Lamb. Thank you for joining me. This is episode 20 in 2020. Look at that. Look how that worked out. I planned it from the beginning. No, I didn't. I like to think I'm mathematically inclined, but not to that degree. Though I do wish I would have skipped having an episode this week, because then episode 20 would have came out on the 20th of 2020. It would have been fun. But then you guys wouldn't have had an episode this week, and now I'm rambling. So thank you for joining me and listening. Uh, This is super exciting. This is my best friend of, oh God, I don't even know, 20-some years, 20, let's say 25 years. Uh, Chad Niney. I said his full name because he doesn't care. Um, I'm so excited. I got to sit down and talk with him and I learned like a bunch of stuff about him, which is crazy because he's been my best friend for 25 years. Uh, we talked for three hours. Don't worry. I cut that down to, uh, I think an hour and 28 minutes maybe. So you're welcome. Uh, we got off track a lot. But it was it was great, and it was really nice sitting down with him and learning about some of the stuff that he's struggling with and hopefully bringing some awareness to some of those things as well we'll talk about after the episode. And I want to thank you guys for your reviews and reaching out. I don't know if you follow on Instagram or Facebook, but I, I shared a story with some of the comments that I've been receiving. And you guys, it literally fills my heart with joy. The things that you're saying when you reach out... Um, how this podcast is affecting you and what you're getting out of it. It means so much to me, the reviews, the ratings. Um, every time you do one of those, it helps bring awareness to the podcast to more people. So if you haven't, uh, clicked five stars or left a review or on Facebook, left a review, um, please do that. It, it not only <laughs> is it a nice way to say thank you to me, but it's, uh, it, it does pop our podcast up higher and search results and everything. So let more people find it. I appreciate you guys so much. I really do. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, You are the best. You are the greatest. I will talk to you more after the episode. Without further ado, this is episode 20 with my friend, Chad Niney. Thanks for being here. I'm excited that you're here because I mentioned you many times on this podcast and now people are going to hear once and for all the story of Chad. But yeah, this is, this is exciting <laughs> or it'll be a disaster. This is, it I'm, could go either way. It'll probably be a little from column A and a little from column B to be honest. Um, uh, well, I just, I want to, I, I've I was mentioned more than once on your podcast. So that said, thanks for being here. <laughs> Uh, as you might know, because you said you listened to this, uh, I start out with how I know you. Yeah, no, seriously, though. Who else has mentioned me on the podcast? No, I mentioned you. Oh, no, no, no. no. I just, the only time I've ever heard my name mentioned was uh, on the one with Brian Agamali. Yeah, that's probably, that's, that, that happened. <laughs> all right, all right. I might have mentioned you, you again. You tease. I, I mean, it could have come up with you and Rob Shannon, or I was friends with, you know, I was friends with Lindsay Fogelman. I just I, interviewed uh, Ian Louisena. Really? Yeah, it's just. It's fascinating to hear my friends, but even for not friends, <laughs> like even, even people, friends. even strangers. Yeah. That's what I like about your podcast. Even strangers, I'm like, hey, this is pretty compelling stuff. Hey, you know what? Everybody's got a story. Yeah. Yeah. So I met you in sixth grade and then we, we started hanging out seventh grade and then, uh, 
Then you introduced me to good music. And there was some <laughs> stuff that I had taken from my brother at that point, but for the most yeah, part, my influences you, were. I remember you got a bunch terrible. of records from your brother. Well, there was stuff that I took Fa- from my brother face to face. Yeah, you I got took. That, well, I he didn't took give that you, but you took after the fact, um, and I'm pretty sure he stole all those. Like wow. one day in his room, he just had a stack of CDs without cases. <laughs> so, yeah, those were definitely. Yeah, I did stolen. notice that they were without cases. Um, and we we tried to identify them. Do you remember? I would put them in the CD player and like listen to like ten seconds of. Each oh my god! Time. Is that how I got Skank and Pickle? Uh, yeah, I think so. The yeah, green yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I never had a case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then. And then uh, best friends ever since. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so I'm not going to summarize your life because that's what you're here for. <laughs> so we'll go back to before I'd love, I met to, you, I'd love to hear you try though. Well, I'm excited about this part because this is stuff that I, I don't know. And I was trying to think if I did, and maybe as you say it, I'll remember some stuff, but, um, so you're born. What, what is your, what are your dad and mom doing when you're born? They're in the hospital <laughs> getting asshole. a child delivered to them. Does your mom work? <laughs> Uh, so my mom, did you know that my mom worked for the Pistons? No. Really? Yeah. She was a secretary for the Pistons. Okay. So there, there's pictures of me as a kid, like Isaiah Thomas is holding me as a baby. And then there's a giant basketball is is a regular size basketball, but it was, it was this giant. <laughs> but I was a baby. Yeah. But I, I was it. a baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, there's different pictures of me with the Pistons and stuff like that. And she was, you know. Is that what she was doing when you were born? She quit when I was born. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, when then your dad was your dad. So my mom worked. I don't know the timeline at all, but my mom was doing something at my dad's at the airport that my dad worked at. Okay. Um, and I think she said, I, okay, in my mind, and I, there's no, knowing my mom, there's no way this can be right. But for, in my mind, she told me that she like had the, had the flashlight cone things and was like taxiing planes and stuff like that. There's no way that can be true. There's no way <laughs> that really can, that can be is. true. But for some reason, I feel like she told me that. She had something to do with that. And they met, and my dad put his arm around her. I think they had known each other for a little bit. I hope this wasn't the first time. But my dad put his arm around her and was just like said to a friend of his or something like that, hey, don't you think we make beautiful children? Yeah. So they, they met at the airport, and then um, – so, uh, so your dad was always in airport stuff? Well, he got, he dropped out of, I don't know if he dropped out of high school or not, but he never went to college. He um, he got a job washing airplanes in exchange for flying That's lessons. So he, took, he learned how to fly and he got his license at 16. No. Nope, sorry. He got his driver's license at 16, like a normal person, and he got his pilot's license at 17. Okay. So he started flying cargo for Volkswagen. Huh. Yeah. So he was flying all around for Volkswagen. And then he got together with his friends and started buying and selling airplanes. Yeah. Anyway. Um, is that what he was doing when he met your mom? I think so. I don't know how far along in the company, but I do know that I was born in 82, and Tradewinds Aviation was founded in 82. How how long were they together before? You Eighty. Were born? My mom. Literally, I just found this out. I would not have been able to tell you. <laughs> so I saw pictures yesterday. Oh. Just yesterday, for the first time in my life, of my, my parents' honeymoon. Yeah, and it was 1980. So they they got married in 1980, and then I, both me and my dad's company arrived in 1982. 
Well, I'm not going to speculate anything. Let's keep going. <laughs> you and your sister are four years apart? No, three <laughs> no. years apart? Two years apart. Uh, I'm going to get one, one, one and a half. <laughs> okay. God, that close. One and a half to two. Something like that. She was, I was born in August, August 28th, 1982, and she is January 18th, 1985. Huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. She's older than Erica. What? <laughs> so, how long are your parents together after, after you're born? How old are you when your parents I want to say I was 10, but I think probably. So, you're pretty old. I'm pretty old. Like, <laughs> no, you're pretty old when your parents get divorced. Do you have like? I, I, just thought you were, I don't know why you were just like you're pretty old. I'm like, yeah, I'm thirty. Get your life together. Thirty-seven. Um, okay. But you, do you, so yeah. you have. I imagine you have a good amount of memories of when your parents are together. Um, sure. Elementary school. Yeah. No, I do. I remember. I mean, there was tumult. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of fighting and stuff yeah. you know there was there was good times but like it's all peppered with like like fighting and, and i remember that one time um i don't know we went to disneyland and we went to the disney world actually and it was that we went to the polynesian at epcot or something like that we stayed there and i don't remember i just remember there was like acrimony there was like fighting and all this stuff and i remember that at home there was one time where my mom Oh, no, no. Okay, so the reason I said the Polynesian because it sticks out in my mind. There's a reason it sticks out, and I'm just making the connection. Now, I, f- I forgot because I haven't thought about it in a while. My dad punched my mom in the face. What? And the Polynesian at Disney World. Yeah. I think it was the face. I think that my mom said that. Oh, here's – but my mom also says a lot of things. And I, I, not that I don't believe her. So you her. didn't see him punch her in the face. I don't have any remember. <clears throat> well, yeah. Like, I don't I mean, have I any memories could be something you blocked that. out as but, well. But um, – I um, I do know that my mom. Okay, so here's something interesting. My mom, when my dad proposed to her, he proposed to her outside of. They drove to like, uh, it was like, around Christmas Eve, something like that, and he was desperate to take her home to his family to show that he was engaged. And so he was like, "Hey, he enga- he proposed to her," and she was just like, "I don't know." And and my mom, the way she recounts the story is, she says that he locked her in his car. For three hours until she said yes. And then she said yes, and they went out and got a ring. And then he took her home to his family. That's my mom's side of the story. I don't know how true it is or not. I'm sure like she's embellishing on the three hours. While you're home, you should ask your dad's side of the Probably story. not. I don't think I ever want to bring that up. <laughs> don't, don't say what you know. Just say, hey, tell me about when you proposed to mom. I, even that, even bringing up my mom, even, even like mentioning that she exists is just taboo around my dad and Megan so funny yeah it's weird so um I, but, what's your and your what's you and marla's relationship um when you guys when your parents are still together i, I don't know i mean we always fought like siblings yeah i don't know i just remember like fighting and i never i never would say that i loved her i was always like no i don't love marla you know it's just like a little shithead it's funny that you say that because the that's and i say that same thing and the more people i talk to the you more say, you say you don't love marley either. <laughs> <laughs> Often. i mean uh, yeah, but the more people i talk to the more i realize that like the idea of like we fought like siblings fight is it not is not a foregone it's conclusion. not a standard yeah no. um and especially in families where 
parents divorce and there's a lot of arguing and stuff. Yeah. The thing that you would uh, find most often, uh, just from me talking to people and some of the stuff that I've read, is like you being the older brother, you would end up being the like protector of your sister. So to shelter her from like your parents fighting. It's funny to think about that because I think the opposite might have happened where instead of you like protecting Marla from that, you almost maybe mimicked what was happening. It seems like, like it. You, I mean, were that's, arguing, I, so you guys were arguing. You know, I'd never thought about that until now, but I actually thought about it like just before you said it because it just clicked <laughs> in my head like, oh, yeah. maybe we were just doing what we saw. Maybe that's the only way we know to, knew how to relate to people. Yeah. You know, because I still have that... Um, not inclination, but, but an instinct, I would say just, uh, just, I have this instinct to just like, I'm not an aggressive person, but like when it comes to my sister, I, st- I you know, I have a very short fuse with family. Her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine that didn't. Cause I mean, that's when you're a kid like that, that's all you know is your yeah. parents and how they interact. Cause I don't think, I mean, cause that's before you go to school or anything like that. That's yeah. all you know of the world. So I can't imagine that that didn't, you know, um, that didn't instill some kind of dynamic between my sister and I. Cause yeah, we, we were definitely, and then there was no rivalry per se. We were yeah. in a sibling rivalry. It was just like, you know, I just, you know, I thought it was, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was, but I just thought toxic. Some, home? Some, sure. Toxic behavior. Sure. Well, I remember one of the things like my mom stepped on my dad's foot, like slammed on his foot with his stiletto heel on. Um, so that hurt him. Uh, I just remember like that kind of thing sticks out in your mind. Yeah. And I just remember one time that, um, it's just, I just remember clothes. We had a balcony in the foyer and, um, there were just clothes raining down from, from the balcony, from, uh, in the foyer, just like to the, and so your mom's the clothes or your dad's clothes? <laughs> my dad's, my mom was throwing all my dad's clothes out uh-huh. off the balcony and she kicked him out of the house that night. And I remember my dad was trying to like break back in or something like that. And she was like, no kids, like we can't let your dad in. Something like that. Like Jeez. that's, yeah. So, so that's, I mean, you know, I can't try to quantify yeah. the, um, the, the, the impact or, or the trauma that that's, you know, inflicted upon me. But like, you know, I'm sure it's there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have shit that I'm just realizing like the stuff that my mom said about my dad is like created part of the image that I had of my dad, not my own impression of him, but what she told me. about. Sure. Yeah. I don't Um, know how to separate that between what my mom has told me about my dad and my, you know, what I think of my dad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's strange. Um, so my parents got divorced. Maybe they were even separated. Maybe they weren't even divorced yet. But I remember my dad started dating yet and he had this rule where he wouldn't date any girls over 28. And so I remember we just went. How old was he? We went to this. He was. <laughs> so I just found this out. He was 24 in. He was 34. Okay. He was 34. And he. Yeah, because in the honeymoon he was 24. And so he wouldn't date any girls under 28. Or over 28, sorry. Yeah. And, um, and so we went to like the zoo with, with one of them. And just like he would like parade me out and like show me off for these girls, these young girls that he was dating. And then I remember. Strange thing. I remember seeing, oh, I kept paraded around a lot because of what you're about to hear. Um, but I remember in 1990, that's when I started seeing signs for Megan O'Neill for Congress. 
the blue signs, you know, and I didn't yeah. know who that was, but I just knew that there was somebody named Megan O'Neill running for Congress. Yeah. And then I remember the night that my dad told me, he was like, oh, I'm dating this new girl named Megan. And I was like, oh, yeah? I was like, oh, there's, that's funny because I see all these signs. I don't know how it went, but this is yeah. just, let's just say for the sake of the story. <laughs> I was just like, oh, there was all these, you know, I, I saw all these Megan O'Neill signs around. And he was like, and he, he, I was like, I don't know. But I remember when I found out it was Megan O'Neill, like when yeah. he said it, I just like got this shitty grin on my face. It's like, really? From like the, the From the signs? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was, I was really amused by that. And then, so that's when they started dating. And then she lost the, the race. And then she was running again in 92. And that's when she, like George Bush, H.W. Bush, rolled through town on a train and she was in the back like of the train. 1890s. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It's they fucking we went to Grand Blanc and they just rolled through town on a train and they were the train stops and they're in the back of the train. There's a podium and he gives a speech and, and introduces Megan. He's like, you know, like Donald yeah, yeah, Trump yeah. would go and, yeah. and do a rally supporting yeah, a yeah. local candidate. Like that's yeah. what George H. W. Bush did for my stepmom. She was a Republican, and so I remember going to that being part of a large crowd and then. She lost again, yeah. and that night that she lost the election, my dad proposed to her, and so. Why do you remember this night forever? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I want yeah. to immortalize this night. Cool. I never thought about it from this that angle. Terrible feeling of defeat. Never thought about it from that. I just thought my dad was being a good guy. He's like, it's not conditional. I'm yeah. not marrying you because you're going to be in Congress. Like you're not going to be in Congress, but I still want to marry you. But yeah, yeah no, no I get it. my dad. It's was... just funny to look at it from the other way. Uh-huh. Um, I'm still learning stuff about you, Justin. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so, when does your mom meet Ken? Or when do they start? Uh, probably 94. Dating. Okay. She dated a couple guys before then. And I remember the first time that Marla saw him, she like, I, I came in the house and like, we were, she was sitting around the corner. And my mom was like, I'm going to introduce you to my new boyfriend. And Marla peeks around the corner. And she like turns to me and she like, like like puts her finger on her on her above her mouth and like like indicating that he has a mustache. <laughs> I don't know why, but she was just like oh, he has a mustache. Because your dad had a mustache. Think. But um, she's like he's one of those mustached guys. Like, like dad. Mom has a type. Um, no, I yeah. So Ken was fat. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just weird. I mean, he was like yeah. a large guy, and I was just like, what do you see in this guy? But he was rich. And then how long were your mom and Ken together? Oh, I don't know. A couple of years. What's that like? Like, this is something I mean, I don't think we ever talked about, but you're old enough to like watch your parents argue, fight, and get divorced. And then both your parents remarry, which that's got to be fucking weird. And then you watch your mom get divorced again. And how that divorce, that wasn't that messy too? I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. I'm no. Sure, divorces are messy. I'm just inherently so. Eh, not always. Yeah, well, sometimes they're amicable. <laughs> I never saw any of that. Yeah, they did a good job at shielding me from that. I'll say that. Um, and we were hanging out. That's we started hanging out when you were living with Ken and your mom in that big ass house. Stone. Well, house, it was a big ass house until court. my dad got his house. So, so what's your? Phase. Well, well yeah. What's your? What's your social? life you're, you're like and what's your interpretation of your social life throughout school oh i don't remember i mean <laughs> shit no honestly i don't think i process memories the same people the same way other people do because like 
like don't have emotional response. Like I remember being there, but I don't think I have emotional responses tied to those things. I just, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I don't know what I was feeling at the time. I know that you were my friend. I know that Michael Bryan was my friend. I know that then we started, we met Ian Louise and all. Um, started being punk rock. Yeah, <laughs> who's, you know, going to be, a little throwback to somebody that's on your podcast just before me. Was, yeah. Um, uh, what else? Um, I think we got the punk rocks. And uh, at Ska and... Um, and then that's when everything changed. I yeah, I don't wait, wait. I, I don't know what to say. Hillary Moserod. What do you mean by that's when everything changed? I don't know. And then punk rock started to happen and then still I think I was I think this whole time like up until I don't know my 20s I was oblivious about girls or I didn't know how to deal with it and I didn't know how yeah. to like show my my affection for them or whatever and i didn't know how to closed off. i didn't know how to act upon theirs no i had tons of emotions i just didn't know how to express it or like yeah. act upon it yeah so so yeah i don't that's i don't know how to answer that question yeah, well it was funny because girls loved you really oh yeah people would always i had girls that would date me to try to get to you oh well no liz Sorensen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know exactly what i'm talking about well there was one yeah um, no, every girlfriend I've had, Erica, still wants to date you. She's just been holding out 13 years. Should I go upstairs and say uh, say hi? But it's, uh, yes, but no. Um, um, so high school, middle school, nothing to nothing really to comment on? No. Cause then, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think high school was where things got interesting. Yeah. For sure. I think it's probably most people is you know, have that experience unless you start doing drugs when you're twelve, like you're one of those um, miscreants. Yeah, I but, mean I um, don't I don't know. Some people no, I wouldn't say most people. Yeah. Some people just like know. get through high school and go to college and nothing, <laughs> nothing happens till like they're twenty five. Losers. <laughs> um no, I um what happened in high school? That's a great question. Well, it wasn't hazy for me like some people, because I was straight edge all through high school. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't start drinking until college. I mean, I drank. I got drunk my first time when I was 14 because my stepmom thought it'd be funny if she gave my sister and I wine at a family party, and she got us drunk and then laughed at us when we got drunk. So that, yeah, healthy, healthy relationship there. Um <laughs> But uh, but all through high school, like, I stopped because then we got into the straight edge punk thing, and you know, and I was like, I don't need, I don't need no alcohol or caffeine or anything like that, and uh, that lasted until college, you know, which you would imagine. Um, so my recollection of again, I guess this is the same thing. I don't think I process things in the same ways most people do, but like I remember things being there. But I think I was just so. I don't know, man. I was weird. Huh. I was a freaking weirdo. Um, and I was more, I don't know. Part. I mean, I think you can attest to this. I think I was, you know, hungry for attention. I made my way onto the announcements that were broadcast on TV to the entire school. <laughs> we did that. Yeah. Um, so people knew me in school um, that I didn't know. Like I was, you know... It's kind of well known. Were there any big things that stick out to you pre like eighteen? I don't think I had a good sense of myself or a sense of my. I no, no. I think I didn't have an emotional awareness or, or self awareness 
that was moored to reality until in my 20s. You know, I think I just kind of did whatever the fuck I wanted to do and said whatever I wanted to say and didn't really have any, you know, grasp at the consequences of that or, or anything, you yeah. know, like that. So, so you, yeah. you graduate high school and you went to Chicago right away, right? Like that yeah. fall? Yeah. Yeah. I went to, <laughs> uh, so the laugh is, you know, is, well, I'm going to bring up September 11th. And so the laugh isn't pertaining, doesn't pertain to that. Well, it does pertain to that, but not that. So September 11th, 2001, do you know what I was supposed to do that day? No. I was supposed to interview Jimmy Eat World for huh. local access cable television. That's funny. For I didn't Jim, know that. Jim Reich or whatever his name was. In my top five bands. I fucking love Jimmy. Right? Yeah. I was supposed to, uh, Andy Reich. Andy Reich from the local access cable channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sending me to go interview them in Detroit. Huh. Yeah. And I had the sign. I made a sign, and I was going to hold it up like I was a fan of theirs. That said, Jimmy Meets World. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm such a huge fan of you guys. <laughs> I like you get an opportunity like that, and you're like, I'm going to squander this with a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Exactly. Uh, and then 9-11 happened, the, the thing that everybody knows about. And then that yeah, got canceled, obviously, because they shut down Detroit. Um, yeah, so that never happened. But uh, right after that, I moved to Chicago. So it was like seeing... So seeing, you weren't in Chicago yet when that happened? No, I was I was in my mom's basement when that happened. And my mom woke me up. She was like, Chad, That's crazy. turn on the TVs. And so, yeah, so I Were was Were we still, hanging out the night before that? I moved on September 19th. Were so, we hanging out the night before 9-11? Probably. Well, because I was up all night and went into the high school at 7 a.m. to do editing because i was like well i'm not going to sleep <laughs> and oh i went what to the were you high doing school. all night i'm that's i assume i was hanging i was hanging out with somebody oh for most of the night probably me <laughs> yeah and then i watched everything happen live wow. at the high school oh wow that's crazy huh i yeah that's weird that we never talked about what we were doing on september 11th uh but i guess that's when like because we were right. at the blockbuster i remember i worked that night and it was the weirdest shift of any job i've ever worked oh wow because you remember we had that direct tv set up right up in front do you remember that yeah there's the counter Very and vaguely. then like it was because you could sign up for direct tv there yeah so okay. they had a display of direct tv mm. and we just had it on like cnn or something the entire day or the entire night and like it was very quiet in there everyone that came in was just like yes i'd like to, i'd like to rent this video okay thank you <laughs> like I, I, the mood was fucking somber yeah wow that's um, fascinating it's very, it very i can't strange. i just can't believe that anybody wanted to do anything other than watch the news like i remember i didn't realize fox news was the fucking propaganda powerhouse that it is now but uh i just watched fox news the entire week until i went to chicago so yeah it was it was crazy just moving to a big city after that because i lived in a small town before yeah. that and all of a sudden i'm in a big city and i'm like planes they're gonna crash into me yeah. everywhere so and then we were talking about it in my classes you know it was just like it was a big yeah it, obviously it was a big deal you know we yeah. were all talking about it but it was just like right when i went to college and i yeah so right when i left clarkston so it was like a big change for me like everything like my worldview changed that's when i got started to get into politics, you know, because I went to liberal arts school and we were talking about politics. We were talking about like George W. Bush and how I thought he was a moron because I, you know, like I remember they asked me what, what 
or they asked us to talk about it. And so I was like, got to me. I was like, I don't see an intelligent person there. I just see speechwriters. Like, I don't see him like making his own decisions or like whatever, you yeah. know? So that's when I first, that's when, that's when I became a Democrat. No, that's when I became a, a liberal, let's say, because yeah. no, Meg was running as a Republican. So yeah. I just got indoctrinated as Republican as a kid. And re- I, as I alluded to earlier, by getting paraded around, I was getting paraded out for photo ops because Megan didn't have any kids yeah. of her own. So it was just Megan, my dad, and my sister and I, and we got paraded, I, and, our, and our dog, we got paraded out for photo ops while she was running for Congress. So I was a prop, you know, and these kind of things. So I was just indoctrinated as a Republican. Like, that's what I had to be. There was no ends if or buts. And I got confirmed as a Catholic and... And I never got confirmed. I did my first communion, but I was like years older than all the other kids, which was really weird, you know, being on stage with all these like other kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like the one, the guy. I'm like, hi guys. So you go to Chicago. So I yeah, I went to Chicago. And you start. And went to film school and started doing drugs. I was gonna say that's when you see when you came back. You're like, I did this, this, and this. I was like, what? Yeah, we did shrooms a lot in college. We did uh, one of my favorite things that we did. Um, we got this book called Pad, which was this like picture book of like this like cool modern decor, and I got inspired by that. And so like instead of doing actual schoolwork and getting good grades, I decided that we I started something called Project Pussy Pad, and decided oh to turn the apartment. And this was I I, I wanted to sound like adult and risque, but really it was just innocent. Like I didn't I wasn't planning on getting laid. I didn't know <laughs> how yeah you know, like I didn't I didn't know how to get. get like attract girls at that point you know yeah. i was just like maybe i'll make some cool lights in my apartment and then girls will come because that's what happens <laughs> like i don't know what the fuck but i called it project pussy pad because i thought it was funny and so we got we got basically got construction pa- you know those big rolls of construction paper that they have at the remember they had at the library for some reason yeah, yeah, yeah. but like big rolls like wide like yeah, they, as they, my they, arm, arm span banners of them yeah so we <laughs> got them. those from the art supply store and fucking covered our we had this uh, so there were four of us so it was a dorm it was like college like living but it was an apartment building that they had bought and it was like 12 foot ceilings maybe even taller than that but let's say 12 foot and and there were two bedrooms so there were two and two in the bedrooms and um and so anyway i guess the point is that there's tall ceilings and a long narrow walkway when you walk in okay because one of the bedrooms is on the right. So there's just, when you walk in, there's a long, narrow walkway. And so I decided to partition that that front, narrow corridor off from the rest of the apartment. And so I put a curtain rod and then hung this black, like blackout curtain in front of it. And I covered all the walls with black construction paper. And so it was all blacked out. And then we got black lights and we took Tide and like black light pens yeah. and just fucking went crazy all over the walls. And we got absinthe. Oh, that's when I started drinking absinthe. <laughs> Remember I brought that back yeah. with me. Um, we were ordering like shitty, what I've learned now was like shitty absinthe uh, from Czech Republic. Uh, but we, we were like, dude, they're not checking our IDs, man. We can order from the Czech Republic. And it would just show up and we just drink absinthe. And I had this crazy roommate, not crazy, he was awesome, but he was a little out there from Vermont. And he introduced me to so many things. Tom Waits, which I, I, Adam Stankus, if you're listening to this, I, 
did I get you into Tom Waits? Because my memory is my roommate got me into Tom Waits, and then I got you into Tom Waits. Adam loves Tom Waits. Yeah, I think I did that. And because of my roommate, he got me into Jonathan Richmond, who was the guy in Something About Mary that's playing in the trees and stuff. He got me into so many fucking things. So many things. He was meditating before I even knew what that was. Like, I would come in, and he would be meditating in our bedroom, and you're just like, what are you doing? You know, and like... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that was what my first year of college my first and only year of college was like i mean i did a lot of different kinds of things that you could call college but that was the that was the main thing but so what's next so that i went to la and then my life changed even more like it just you know i didn't have the culture shock that um that you would think that you'd expect. Well, you'd already lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago, but like LA is a different beast entirely, you know. And, and, but I was so excited to be there that I don't think that I was really like, oh my god, this is so different. Like I wanted it to be different. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, I'm so enthralled and just yeah, I had I had a lot of fun. Again, got very caught up in other extracurricular activities. Didn't do so well in school, you know. Um, I mean, I did okay because yeah. I there's certain for certain things I don't need to try very hard to to do well in, but um, but on the things that I needed to put time and effort into studying, like no, I didn't do, I didn't do well in those. And then I, while I was still in school, I got a job because it was only like a year long before I got my certificate. Um, but during that time, I got my first job on a movie, a feature film, and that was Carla, um, mm-hmm. which is how I met Patrick. And um, and so yeah, his dad was the the uh, the writer director of it. No, his dad was the producer of that. And and he he'd written the movie before that, Vlad, which I'm sure you remember very well. I have it at some point. <laughs> Bad vampire movie with Billy Zane. Yeah. Um, and then this was so this was my first taste of like I was working on this movie and Laura Prepon from. I guess she's from Orange is the New Black now, but yeah. at the time she's from that, that 70s, 70s show. show. And so I got to like hang out Donna. with her and like talk to her and just like, so I was like, that was my first time ever like interacting with a real slip. Uh, actually, you know what? I thought of this the other day and I was like, I just tell this on Justin's podcast. In between that summer, in between when I got back from Chicago and went to LA, yeah. my mom heard about this film festival that was on the west side of Michigan called the Saugatuck or Waterfront Film Festival in Saugatuck. And it was thrown by people from L.A., but they were from Michigan. And But it was, like, real L.A. people and, like, industry people. And I remember that I got – I met the one of the founders of the festival who turned – I met him later on, and, and Facebook friends with him now. Yeah, he's so gay. It's so obvious. But at the time, I had no idea. And so he was just like – I was just like, wow, this guy's really friendly to me. <laughs> And uh, and so I got invited like to go hang out with all the celebrities and stuff at this film festival That's in like a cool. little town of Michigan. Not that. huge celebrities, but like Jake Show was there. Is that his name? No, uh, Grant Show, who played Jake <laughs> yeah. on Melrose Place. Yeah, he was there. And okay, so here's how fucking I do kind okay. of remember. So this, I think so. this is going <laughs> to illustrate really well how oblivious I was. And I think when I say I don't have emotional memories of, of certain things, it's because I was just so. I didn't have the emotional 
capacity that I, I, you know, I had empathy, but not the emotional capacity to understand how I was, how people were perceiving me in the world yeah. and how I was being perceived in the world. So like I was talking to him and we were talking, I was like, oh, I just, I was, I was like, I felt like a hot shot. Like, oh, I just did a first year of film school and like, I know what I'm doing. I'm great. And so we were talking, I was talking to, I remember Ty was drinking too much and, and I was talking to him about like, I was like, oh man, I see, I didn't take actors, I don't take actors very seriously because I feel like the director does everything, man. The director just tells him what to do. And he's like, <laughs> but I'm like, he's like, no, but actors, like they have to find it within themselves and stuff like that. So we're having this conversation back and forth. I'm like, oh man, well, I never thought about it like that. And so I was like, oh, we're friends now. And so there was a part where he like grabbed some cushions from this couch and was laying on this dock. It was the summer in Michigan. So they were out by the water, laying on this dock. So he found this cute girl and was like, laying out on this dock looking up at the stars and i was like oh that's my friend jake or grant or whatever who knows i probably thought him as jake and so i pulled up a cushion and i just laid right next to him i was like hey what are you guys doing and i just started <laughs> totally cockblocked yeah <laughs> nice. but to me i was just like oh this is my new friend you know like i he was yeah. oblivious like that i just had no idea that that was just like not cool to do that's fantastic and he was nice about it. they were really nice about it i'm sure they were just like why the fuck is he here but like <laughs> you know they didn't say anything oh it's director chat <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so yeah so i can look back on a lot of those kind of things but at the time i had no idea that i was just like I didn't. I didn't have that like awareness, social awareness yeah. of myself. So well, so you're you're in LA for a very long time. Um, you you work in production stuff like movies, and TV shows. You worked in that. What the hell is that? TMZ. For, I worked on the TMZ for yeah. a while. And extra, yeah, like three. Uh, extra was the first thing that I did because Adam Burstein. Yeah. Uh, we worked on Extra together. Like he was Harvey's assistant at Celebrity Justice, which is pre TMZ. <laughs> And which was shot in the same studio as Extra. And so he got me a job on Extra. And so, yeah, I worked on Extra, and that's kind of how that all started, and that's how it led to TMZ. Because I got to know Harvey, and then he hired me at TMZ. So that was a weird couple years. I mean, I was there when Michael Jackson died. Oh, that's weird, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, we knew bef like an hour before anybody else did. And I remember feeling like I was in the center of the world, like the center of the universe, because I knew stuff that everybody else wanted to. Like, I was, knew it was going to be the biggest news. Yeah you know, of the day at least, but I, nobody else knew it yet. And so I think I posted something about Facebook after, like I posted the article and was like, everybody's asking MySpace. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I was like, everybody's always asking me like for celebrity gossip. Cause I work at TMZ. Well, here, here you go. Now stop bothering me or something, something stupid like that. So you, you've mentioned a bunch of times you just weren't like emotionally aware yeah, uh, yeah. Let's get, let's dive into that. Well, so, yeah. When when does that tide change? I remember there was a time that I was working on a commercial, probably like two thousand four, and I'm just like, I mentioned something to the because back then I would just say whatever the fuck was on my mind. <laughs> like you remember how I was back in the day? I just like had no filter and just like. I, I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, you probably have a better idea of what I was like back then. Because I was pretty oblivious. Um, but I remember I said something to the effect of like, you know, I'm just like kind of just, you know, I'm starting to realize that how people perceive me is in the same way that I perceive myself, you know, like everybody does. Because I just thought that everybody goes through that. That's just a that's just a phase in life. Yeah. That's just like when you get to a certain age, you're just like, oh, wow, wow, I'm different than I thought I was, yeah. you know? 
and they were like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? And they went, they pressed me on it and like wanted me to elaborate. And I was yeah. like, uh, I don't, you know, like, like you went through, right? Everybody, <laughs> everybody goes through that. And then I realized, holy shit, not everybody does. And so that kind of blew my perception wide open. Like, yeah, I fucking broke my brain. But, um, but it was that, that, that put the crack in the foundation and then it just started to grow and grow from there like it started to just start questioning everything yeah the, seriously so did that like create i did a bunch of insecurities then because then you started oh second God. guessing everything yeah absolutely absolutely like i was just like who am i like I, i'm not who i thought i was yeah i'm not who i because i thought i was the shit I was like on the TV and I was, I was, I was on the like, TV. you know, this awesome guitar player. And I thought I was this musical genius and just, you know, all this stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit. Like that is not how people see me at all. And my world came crashing down. And like only recently have I like only in the past 10 years have I been able to like, and I think more recently have been able to like come to terms with that. It fucking threw my apple cart for a loop like and knocked it over and sideways you know yeah. yeah so that was that was crazy and um yeah so i mean and that that's what led to like all this like i, I mean i i had gone to therapy when i was a kid um because my mom i i don't know a teacher said she thought i had add okay and I, so I thought I had it. And then my dad, like, hate, my dad hated it. I had asthma, really bad asthma as a kid. And my dad hated that I, I got all this treatment. I was that. in and out of hospitals yeah. all the time as a kid. And Dr. O'Neill was my doctor before he became my grandpa, which was a whole nother story. That's weird. <laughs> um, but, um, but my dad hated it. Like I got a nebulizer machine, which is like a, a machine, for, like an inhaler machine for asthma. Yeah. Like you'd get treatments at the at the hospital, you know. Uh, like I would go there for pneumonia when I had it several years ago. But um, oh God, but I but I but I had one that I took home, uh, and my dad hid it from my mom because he hated that I took it because he didn't think it was real. My my dad's fucked up. Like he doesn't think like psychological problems are real, and clearly you know, medical problems. Like he just thinks, oh, you just gotta buck up tough it, tough it out yeah. tell your lungs what, to what did your dad out. say to you pull yourself up by your bootstraps no Ugh. yeah no <laughs> yeah i know that phrase but no he did he did say that what am i reminding you of something that you no. i remember you <laughs> lived in uh the same complex as the flat this is when you were living there yeah and you were like i'm having i was having this tough time and i like wrote to my dad and he was just like he didn't acknowledge any of it he was just like you're okay just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you're just like, what the fuck is that kind of thing to say to your son? Huh. Yeah. I remember writing a letter to my dad. Yeah. I didn't, that, I was his, that was his response. I didn't think he ever responded. You probably blocked <laughs> it out because it was so traumatic. Well, you're welcome for reminding you of it. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Um, uh, so, okay, so ADD. I, was, I went to a therapist. Well, I went to a therapist ostensibly because my parents were getting divorced and yeah. it was shaking up my entire world. And... But then they, they looked at the ADD thing, and so I was – I, I, and so I like got this idea that all I had to do was take Ritalin, and I would be fixed. I told my dad that one time. I was like, Dad, all I need – I'm seeing this therapist, and all I need to do is start taking Ritalin, and I'll be fixed. And my dad did not like that. <laughs> and so he went to this therapist, and immediately everything got shut down. Like this ADD talk got shut down, and I never got diagnosed. I remember doing all this testing, and I don't think it led anywhere, which is crazy because cut to TMZ – and shit's going down. <laughs> Shit is like, I'm making a lot of mistakes. 
Because oh, okay. okay, so just to put it in perspective, I'm not one of the producers or, or like newsroom people. Yeah, I'm not. So I started as a tech PA. I was doing. They were doing another show called Beyond Twisted, which failed, and that's a whole other story. But then, then that more then that got canceled, and then I got like folded into the TMZ crew, and then um, then they fired this guy that was doing the that was running the control room, like the, it was called the traffic coordinator, and so I took over his job I remember that job title because i was so yeah. confused by it <laughs> yeah it's like you're just directing traffic for tmz yep <laughs> this doesn't make any sense at all mm-hmm. so basically i had to record the show i was in charge of recording the show to disc because it was all done digitally and playing the show out to air because it aired live in some markets and there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong yeah. in that. I had to put the bu- the little logo in the corner in the, that says TMZ when you're watching it. Yeah. That's called a bug. And I had to put that in with a button. I had to hit a button to put that in and take it out. And it couldn't go over the commercials at all. So I had to do it at the yeah. right time. And so all this, there's so many things that go wrong. You're like flying a plane there. And things did go wrong. Not all the time, but like enough that they took notice. And it wasn't. So here's the big thing is that. I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes, more than the average person, a lot more. And people call them careless mistakes or whatever they do. They think I just, you know, I have a lazy, fair attitude or whatever. I care a lot. Like, I want to do well in anything I do. I'm really ambitious, maybe, uh, yes, but there's another word. I'm really proud of the work that I do. Or, like, I take a lot of pride in what I do, yeah. and so I want to do it well. And when I don't do it well, it kills me. And I, unfortunately, I just have this brain where I make a lot of mistakes and I can't do anything about it. And, and, and I hate that people think that it's a careless mistake. Yeah. And it's not because I care a lot. And so it happened often enough where <clears throat> I had to like mention something. They called me into this producer's office and like I had to sit down and uh, so I had to tell them. I'm like, look, I, oh, so, okay. So back up just before this, I had like gotten... I had started to conclude in that I had ADHD, like for real. And um, I had read a book about it. I read, I started to just do all this online research, and then I read a book by Gabor Mate. Uh, when was this? What, about what this, time? This was like 2000, 2010, 2011, okay. something like that. So you were at TMZ then? Yeah. I was okay. at TMZ from 2009 to 2011. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so at this time, I started to do all this research, and I'm like, holy shit. I, when I read this book by Gabor Mate, um, who was unknown at the time, but now he's been a, uh, a repeat guest on the Tim Ferriss podcast, um, so people might know him. Um, but I read his book, and I was like, holy shit, I'm reading my biography right now. Like, everything like hit home so hard. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is, this is me. This is, I have this. And yeah. so I had, was having all these problems at work, and so I had to tell them something. You know, I had to tell them. So I was like fuck i have a adhd and that's why i always say adhd because that is technically what it's called add is an outdated term yeah it used to be add and adhd and one was hyperactive you know and then one wasn't and then now it's just one attention deficit hyperactivity disorder yeah and now it's just one diagnosis and then there's type one type two and combined type and type one is inattentive and type two is hyperactive or something like that but they but but it's all adhd now and and so i think it's like an impulse thing so i would like hit the wrong button and i'm like i don't know why i just hit that like seriously that shit would happen to me like i had no idea why i did that you know there's just i just like i without thinking i would just do things like that and it was it was bad and so um 
so I had to tell him, like, I have ADHD, but I was being proactive about it. I went and saw the specialist, um, this called the Drake Institute in Northridge, and they did the fucking skull cap with, like, electrodes coming out of it, mm-hmm. like, all these multicolored wires coming out of it. I wore this, like, you know, like a swimming cap with all and these wires coming out of it. you filmed a short film. Yeah. You were the spaceman. With my brain. <laughs> uh, no, they did a brain mapping, and then they did therapy where I would do... Like, most basic thing would be, like, there's a spoon on there, and just imagine a spoon like the Matrix, and you have to bend it with your mind. <laughs> and or, or, or let's say there's a race car, and it's just sitting there, and you're, like, it's going... Like, I, 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 that's, that's the only way I can convey via audio what it was doing. It was just, like, putzing around. It wasn't moving forward. It was just, like, it was just, like, idle. Yeah. And you had to figure out how to make it go forward with your brain. And your brain doesn't know how to do that. And it just takes trial and error. Like every now and then it would go an inch forward. And then you would have to do it enough where your brain would like start to associate that with what was going on in your brain. Like it would like make the connection. And so you do it over and over again until all of a sudden you just had this thing trapped in your head and the car was going forward. And, um, and so I was doing that. And so I really thought that was going to save me. And I got, I got a doctor's note and I showed him. I'm like, look, yes, I have ADHD and that's why this is happening. But look, this is what I'm doing about it. I'm yeah. trying to like remedy this. And so they were like, all right, well, we'll monitor the situation, but keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, don't keep what you're doing. Do it better. <laughs> Do it right, motherfucker. Uh, and so some time passed, and then something happened where I hit a wrong button again. And, um, and I was like fucking devastated. Like, I was just like, fuck, like, fuck me. Like, this is not a careless mistake. Like, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, I didn't want this to happen, you know, and I did a good job of like making sure it didn't happen for a while, but it happened inevitably. And, uh, called me into the office and, um, they're like, all right, they had the lawyer present and they're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And I am to, to this day, I'm well at that point, I was the only employee that this had ever happened to, yeah. but they decided to put me on, um, medical leave which is nothing huh. that employers ever do it's always something that the employee opts for he's like i'm yeah. gonna go on medical leave i have to have surgery i'm gonna go on medical leave but yeah. the employer never puts somebody on medical leave it's totally unheard of and yeah it was just crazy and so like okay so you need to go and get your treatment and then when you're ready to come back to work just let us know like uh okay and then i got ushered out like i was getting fired uh, Did you get paid for medical leave nope okay not at all did not get paid. For all intents and purposes, I was fired, but they kept me on hold. Like, they, they turned my status to on hold or whatever it was. Are you they still didn't technically me. in that status? No, no okay. they fired me because I moved on. I moved yeah. on and just stopped updating them. And finally, they were just like, we've terminated you because we stopped sharing from you or whatever. Yeah. Um, I did. I went to an employment lawyer, and I tried to see what my options were for, for you know, to, to – um, not retaliate, but to like find compensation or just just how to address it legally. Like, what, yeah. was, what are my legal rights in this situation? Because um, the doctor was like, uh, basically, they said we have to have a doctor sign off that you're okay to come back to work. And I went to my doctor and I was like, "Can you can you sign this for me?" And he was like, "I, or no, 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 no. He he needed to sign something saying that I would get disability, so I could get paid. Gotcha. By the state." And he wouldn't sign it because he's like, I've never signed something for ADHD and disability. Like, yeah. I'm not, I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm like, fuck, okay, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> and um, 
I guess this is the right time to interject with my thoughts about ADHD because it's really debilitating. It's serious. And everybody thinks like, oh, yeah, everybody has that or whatever. Or it's overdiagnosed. And yes, yeah. it is overdiagnosed in children, to be sure. But for people that actually have it, it's debilitating. It's, you know, you have, there's a lack of impulse control that comes along with it. There's a lack of like, I'll just be sitting there and a boss is talking to me. And all of a sudden I realize that I've just been watching the list moving. And I have no idea what they just said to me. So I'm yeah. like, I'm sorry, can you repeat that or something? I just miss, or if we're in a group, if we're in a fucking group of people and we're in a meeting or something like that, I'm just like, holy shit, what are they saying? And I just like, or in school, yeah. you know? So they just, I just miss stuff all the time. And it's because what I've come to find is that it's because your attention turns inwards because you're worried about something within you. Yeah. You're worried about some, some kind of thing, whatever you're worried about that day. You know, you're thinking about that. And so your attention turns inward. And so it's not focused outward. And so you miss a lot of things. And so, yes, everybody does that. The symptoms of ADHD are prevalent throughout society, throughout people, humans. But when they're collected in one person and they have, and that person has most or all of the symptoms and it's starting to negatively impact their life, that's when it's diagnosed and it can be very serious. Yeah. And so I just want to put that out there because I think, I don't know, man, I just feel like I can't tell anybody that I have ADD and like, not that I'm looking for sympathy or whatever, yeah. but well, there's it's, definitely a stigma attached to it where it's people don't think it's real. People don't think it's is... real. A lot of people don't think it's real, especially my dad, you know, like, so it's just like, I can't get anywhere with him. Your dad doesn't think a lot of things are real. <laughs> well, yeah, no, obviously. And, um, I just, I don't know. It's been holding me back for sure from achieving, you know, the success that I've been, you know, trying to achieve you know yeah. it's definitely held me back and so i just i guess i just want to i just want to want people to know that it's really debilitating you know and it's the you know one of the banes of my existence you know um so um yeah so that's how tmz ended and then uh, what takes you because you go from la up to santa cruz to well I'll let you well, explain I mean, that man. Okay, so this is going to have to be a special episode where it's like four hours long. I should tell people that. So I started bartending back in Detroit, but I didn't really, really get into bartending until um, until after TMZ. And then I just needed something to do. Yeah. And so I got back into it. And then I found myself in the right place at the right time. And I ended up getting trained and mentored by the top mixologist in L.A., a guy named Julian Cox. So I was working at my friend's French Bistro, and downtown was like where the ground zero was in L.A. for the craft cocktail thing. And so um, uh, I met these people that worked at a nearby restaurant called Rivera, and I'd heard about it. It had this big reputation, like just being amazing. And so my this girl that I met that worked there, she was like, yeah, come by sometime. And she's like, you love their bar program. And I was like, okay, cool. And so my friend that invited me there, she introduced me to the bar manager, and I was like, uh, dude, if you ever need any help here, I'd love to submit a resume. Like, this is this is a great place. And he's like, actually, the class started today. Why don't you show up tomorrow? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about, but yeah. I was like, okay, the class, sure. And so I thought, oh, it must happen all the time, you know. Yeah. But I found out that it only happens like once or twice a year. I just happened to come in on the exact day that it started. And so I got to go, and it turns out it was taught by Julian Cox, who was his atomic scientist in LA and it was it wasn't it's something that you can sign up for it wasn't something you pay to be in it was something that you get recruited for and I had been recruited 
Nice. You know, or I just got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. You yeah. know, <laughs> fast forward to kava. Then I learned about kava. Which um, is? Kava is a root from the South Pacific. Um, what properties does kava have that makes it special? It's an anxiolytic, which means it relieves anxiety. Okay. Um, and it uh, it just gets you a little high. It gets a little, you know, it's like it does what you want alcohol to do. It lowers inhibitions. It's, it's a muscle relaxant. Uh, it's a social lubricant, but it doesn't impair your judgment or or um, cognition like alcohol does. So, yeah, I was like, I heard about it on a podcast actually, and um, so I was like, oh my god, I need this in my life. And then I took a little trip up to the Bay Area. I remember that there was a kava bar up there. Actually, I saw this foreigner, this like foreign dude who was like, he was held, hold, held his phone up and he was like, can you tell me where Gova Lounge is? And I was like, what did you say to me? <laughs> and and, and you know, he showed me his phone and it said kava lounge. I was like, oh, kava lounge, shit, yeah, okay. And so I was like, I don't know where that is, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> and so then I went and had some kava there and then I went to Berkeley and had some more kava there at the other store. And, um, and when I was at Berkeley, I ended up just you know, pitching my idea to the owner there, um, uh, that, you know, I told him that I wanted to start a cover bar in LA and I was looking for a partner and I didn't go in there expecting that at all. I didn't go in there with that intention at all, but I came out with him agreeing to partner up and open a location in LA. And so good visit. Yeah. So then I drove back to LA and I was like, Holy shit, everything's changed. Wow. This is crazy. And I was so excited. And then I found out that he was opening up a location in Santa Cruz uh, in the interim. And I, I asked the owner of the Kava Bar, I was like, hey, do you need any help up there? And he's like, as a matter of fact, I do. I have no nobody to run this place. And so then I moved up to Santa Cruz to run the Kava Bar. And, uh, and I did that. And that was September of 2018. Things were okay when they were okay. But... Uh, when they weren't, they weren't. Um, I, I mean, I had highs and lows there, like yeah. some of the biggest highs and lowest lows in my life there. I mean, yeah. I got like, to you be seem super depressed when you first got there. To be completely honest, I was a little suicidal at certain parts because I knew it wasn't going well. Like there were, I went in there like ready to kick ass, and there was just, I just had no energy when I like I wasn't sleeping very well, and I just go and I was lethargic. That's mm. that's the other thing about my brain. I will say that I need a lot of sleep. And this is something that I read about in ADHD books and just elsewhere that like, and my, this therapist that I went to for a while, she was like, do you get tired a lot? And I'm like, yeah, I get tired a lot. Like I don't have, like, I, you know, I just get tired easily and then I can't, my endurance isn't there, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that's a common theme. Like I would just like, I don't know, I just, I had all this stuff to learn and I was going to be the general manager and I was the general manager and I had all this stuff to learn and I just... I didn't think it was going well, you know, in the beginning, and it really fucked me up. So, well, here, this brings me to another thing about my brain. There's stuff that just doesn't trigger for me. Like, uh, like a normal person would see something, they see a stimulus, and respond to it. For some reason, there's, I don't, don't anticipate things. I'm not able to, well, one. What are you talking about? Well, I don't process things in the moment. Like, I can't have this conversation, let's say, this is a bartender. And say, you're on that side of the bar, I'm making a drink. I yeah. can't make a drink and have this conversation at the same time. I cannot talk and Yeah, you got to put something. your focus on what you're yeah, doing. I can't do that yeah. at all. And, um, and so um, I think that um, 
that kind of is adjacent to um hold on i lost my place hold on i'll get it back um anticipating things like um okay for an example of of what like how things don't don't trigger in my brain um I was working at this bar in LA and I was on a mission. There was something that I needed to do. And I forget what it was, but I needed to set up something for this event that was happening or something like that. And I was on, was on this mission. And when I get things in my brain like that, when I, I, I can only focus on that and like tunnel vision. Yeah, kind yeah. of. And so I went in the back room to try to find this thing or whatever. And I saw this female bartender there and she's tiny and she like had all these wine bottles and she was like struggling with it or she wasn't struggling with it, but she had her hands full and was trying to like open the door. And I was just like, Hey, have you seen this thing or whatever? And I was like, no. Okay. And then I left and my jam called me. I was like, you're not going to help her with that. I was like, Oh shit. I didn't even like realize like that I was supposed to like, it just yeah. didn't occur to me. Yeah. So I will say a lot of things just don't occur to me. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen and it becomes a problem in work yeah. and life. Um, I mean, we've had conversations in our own friendship that, uh, like that, that obviously like played a role in and then after we talked about it, things are fine. <laughs> are you talking about what I think you're talking about? I don't know. Uh, but no, I think it's like, I mean, I like, I wrote you an email a little while back well, yeah, we can talk about that. I was well, no, no, we we can no. I just because that's that's is, that's no, like, goes this, along that. This same is line. where this is where this is leading. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I thought like there's a lot more going on here than just ADHD. There's a lot happening in my brain. There's a lot that I'm very like concerned. Yeah, but like there's a lot that I'm self conscious about that yeah. I'm starting to notice about myself. That you know, it's like. Just as time goes on, I learn more and more about myself. Um, such is life. Such is life. That, that's that's not unique, right? We all we all have that. But I think from where I started with being completely oblivious to where I am now, it's yeah. like significant difference. Night and day. Yeah. And so I'm learning more stuff about myself every day because I think one thing is just I I wasn't very good at perceiving myself the way other people perceive me. So it was just like like the the way I say things, my intonation, my tone of voice, my inflection. Yeah. I didn't know, like, I think, uh, like, that, and then as a GM, like, I had to be the manager, and I had to tell people things, and I think, you know, if I, if I'm disciplining somebody, I hate that, I hate confrontation, and I hate all that, and so when I have to do that, I think I'm just such a, I have such a flat affect, and I'm so miserable about doing it, that I'm just like, hey, I don't like it when you do it, like, I can't, like, say, like, the owner was really good at saying, hey, man, I just want you to, like, you know, like, put personality into it, and put, like, charisma into it, and I'm just, like, I just shut down, man. I don't know. I don't know. But there's a lot of things where I just don't realize how I'm saying it. And it, I've offended a lot of people. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I have offended a lot of people without meaning to. <laughs> While I was in Santa Cruz, I had, um, and I had thought about this before when I was going through the ADD thing, when I was learning about that, there was also, I had also started to read about Asperger's um, and started to like see the, the um similarities or? similarities sure let's let's go with that see <laughs> see the uh i started to to see some overlap there with just what i was learning about adhd and like that that there, there was more to that and um and so i had well it started with this the there was this girl that sat at the bar and she was really cute she was like all tatted up and had a split tongue like, like she could oh, like Jesus. move her two yeah. pieces of her tongue independently. Like, 
What do you do with that when you're 65 years old? (laughs) You rock it, man. I don't know. She was, she was hot. So you can do do whatever you want, you know, but, um, she was fascinating. She was just like really smart and just like, well, intellectual and just like nerdy. Yeah. And we were just talking about all kinds of things. And, uh, this was at the kava bar. And then I got off my shifts and I went and sat down next to her and, and I was like, well, you, you really know a lot of stuff. I don't, you know, I'm like that too. And I don't meet a lot of people that are like that. Cause I'm super curious about everything. I just want to know everything basically. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, wow, you, you know, a lot of stuff. she's like, yeah, I'm autistic. So I just collect information. And I'm like, what? Yeah, like I just, I, I was taken aback. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. I was like, how do you know? And she's like, well, and you know, I was, I started to like read about it and I've done a lot of research and then I got diagnosed and whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, that's right. I forgot about that. But I did have a, okay. Back to, back to Neiman Marcus in 2009. No, 2000. I was in Neiman Marcus, 2006, 2008 and, or two, no, 2006, 2009. And during that time I had this woman come up to me who's a regular at the bar. She's just a super nice woman. Um, who came up to me and was like, Chad, you're autistic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, excuse me? And this was not at the bar. Like I had walked, I stepped out of the bar and like, so she was confronting me outside of the bar. So it wasn't like weird. but Or maybe it was at the bar because I think I'm conflating two different times because there was one time where she, (laughs) and this is where I started to believe it (laughs) because she came up to me. She just like, like shuffled up to me and just like, pushed her breasts into my chest just like out of nowhere of course i was like uh uh okay and like not even a hug just like just and just sauntered away i was like what the hell was that and just had this weird <laughs> smile on her face um but um let's talk about bad social judgment but um but she was just like no chad you're autistic and i'm like excuse me she's like yeah no i know because i'm autistic and i can tell you you're definitely autistic and i'm like oh okay and Thanks, so, lady. yeah. And so that's when I first started to like get this idea. And then I did research and I was like, oh, that comports. And um, with my experience, it comports with my experience. And, uh, and then in Santa Cruz, so I had that experience. And then after, so basically what the, the way th- things ended in Santa Cruz was that I resigned because this guy was making my life living hell. He yeah. was like, he floated the idea of terminating me because um, I actually brought that up. I was like, look, I've got these problems. I got cognitive disabilities, man. I, you know, and, and, uh, and he was just, and, and so I brought up the fact that I might be autistic and he was just like, well, you didn't tell me about that when you got hired. And I think that's illegal. So I think that's grounds for termination. <laughs> Which is not true at all. That is not true. It's actually my legal right to not tell him that. Yeah. Uh, So I thought that was evil. I don't. I and I. You know, there are many things that happened in the past year or so, a couple years that have led me to believe that people are very. Well, obviously, people are very complex. But like, just because somebody does a bad thing or like you perceive them as bad, doesn't. People are complex. Everybody's got a little good and a little bad, and just like you know, like I don't hate the guy. Yes, he made my life hell. And my dreams of having an Akava bar vanished, evaporated before my eyes. Just like it, it just, it was so traumatic for me to go through this experience. And I yeah. would, it was really fucking tough. And I don't, 
yeah, I'll ruminate it on it every now and then. I'll think about like, oh, what if I said this or what if I did this or yeah. what if I stayed, you know? But it's like, no, I'm in a better place now. I'm glad I quit, you know. Um, so in the week, I think it took me a week and a half before I left Santa Cruz after I quit the job, and so I just decided to go and explore it. I was working six days a week, so I'm like, I'm gonna go have fun. I'm just gonna go enjoy myself in the last little time that I have here. So hanging out with some friends that I'd made there. And we're out at this restaurant, and we're sitting there, and I floated the idea by him. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think I've Asperger's. And I don't remember why that came up, but it was relevant. I don't think it came out of nowhere, but <laughs> knowing me, who knows? Chad, how's your grilled cheese? <laughs> I think I have Asperger's. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I didn't see that on the menu. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, <laughs> so um, I was like, I think I have Asperger's. And they both look at each other, and they're like, yeah you do i'm like well yeah and he's so it's a couple and the guy was like yeah jasmine has it and she was like yeah i have i have asperger's and uh and she, and they're like yeah we both thought that about you and he's like i studied psychology in school and i you know definitely you fit that that archetype yeah. and so i just had this like confirmation there and I was like holy shit like there's probably something to that and so I remember hearing on This American Life a while back about how there was the show about there there was a segment that they did about the Asperger's test and about how all these wives were joking like these wives like there were social workers something like that that knew about Asperger's something like that because you got to know about that kind of stuff um, they were just joking oh yeah my husband has Asperger's or my husband has Asperger's because they're you know they're emotionally uh reserved yeah. let's say um and so one of the women ends up giving her husband the test and one of the questions is like do you fantasize about making traps and she's like what the fuck is that question that's her question and the husband's like yep it's <laughs> like that's really weird how did they know that <laughs> so anyway it turns out this guy had asperger's all yeah. along and she's like oh my god he actually does so it's the whole thing but so i was like there are tests out there so i took two independent tests that were supposedly legit tests. Yeah. Like this wasn't like some Buzzfeed. Yeah. Do you have <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, these were Which Little Mermaid <laughs> mental disorder do you have? <laughs> Can we make that? You can make your own Buzzfeed quizzes. I'm gonna do that when we're done. Okay, go what ahead. What mental Sorry. disorder did the Little Mermaid have? I don't What so. is it? What didn't she have? Well what is it what is it when you wanna be something else, when you wanna be a different creature? Is that <laughs> I don't know what that she is. She thought she was a mermaid. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Branching. Um, um, so you took two independent tests. Two independent tests, and they both came back positive, as in one explicitly said, you're likely neurodivergent, which means autistic. So after that, I mean, that's all I need to hear. I'm like, okay, that's that. And that's when we talked <laughs> on the phone, and I told you, and you weren't very happy with me about no. that. Yeah. So that was... Yeah, that was a thing. But then we, then you sent me an email to, <laughs> after I hung up on you, uh, like it got heated. Yeah. It got heated. And then um, I, you know, you sent me an email to like smooth things over, let's say, or like clarify your position. And, you yeah. know, and then I sent you an email back and yeah. like where I came from. And I think that I thought I like, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, hearing but, things too, and in, in more of a long form, sitting yeah. down with you here instead of 
over a two minute phone conversation. Sure. And <laughs> well, okay. So here's what I here's what I, and I think I said this in the email, is that you know me is just Chad. Like all my idiosyncrasies and everything is just Chad to you. Yeah. That's just I'm just the same person you've always known. But to me, I see myself in a different light now. Like I'm starting to understand who I am, who yeah. other people, the way other people see me, yeah. and. And now I'm able to take this, all the things that I don't like about myself, not everything I don't like about myself, but like, like certain things, attributes that are, I'm really self-conscious about and have been really debilitating to my, to my capacity for success, let's yeah. say, um, the impediments to success. Uh, I've been able to compartmentalize and take those out and put them in a box that says Asperger's. Yeah. And say that's not Been me. Been able to put a label. That's on that. Yeah. To, so to be able to label it makes me feel so much better because yeah. I'm not an idiot, but I feel like people see me as an idiot. You yeah. know, I, a lot of people do because yeah. like, oh, he makes all these mistakes. He says these things in social settings, or he's like, no, and I don't. I don't think you do or ever have. Yeah. You know, uh, you know me better than anybody else. I think so. I think you get it. You yeah. know, but I have my moments, yeah. and. It's just tough because I think j- people that don't know me well just see. I think they think that I, I don't care. You know, I'm reckless yeah. or whatever the right word is. You know, I'm whatever. I just say what is on my mind, and I and I don't. I I I mean, I do still do that. You know, if I get comfortable, if I get confident in a situation or with people, then I let my guard down and I'll yeah. say shit that I regret. You know, you got to keep in mind though, and. I mean, obviously I'm not licensed to say anything, but uh, when you say things as certain absolutes, like uh, people think this about me, there's a couple things to take into account there. One, you don't know what people think of you. No, that's that's <laughs> um, true. I've been I've been able to piece it together from what, but I, you what can, I've heard. You but can make like assumptions of what people think, but well, also you can make assumptions. But I can also put together the pieces of there have been people in my life that have been explicit with me and yeah. that have told me things like that have just totally. But you also can't use world. them as a blanket no. statement over everybody. No, and then also you also can't change that if they, if people do think a certain way about you. That's no. No, um, and I'm trying to get better at. I don't so, mean to cut you off, but oh, I'm, no, tr- I'm trying to get better at not caring what people think. But yeah, and it's like, easier it's, it's said not, than done. I mean, I personally don't think it's healthy to just draw a line in the sand and be like, I don't care what people think, because yeah. people's like your reaction to people and people's reaction to you is like kind of how we ba- like how we base our social interactions with each other as human beings. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I also don't think it's healthy to walk around and constantly think less of yourself because of what you assume other people around you are maybe thinking based on something that uh like okay put this in perspective um for what i'm trying to get across because i do this all the fucking time and when uh i listen to armchair expert all the time you know dex shepherd not familiar no great fucking podcast but he tells the story that uh has happened to me so many times he's like at a party and he says some stupid fucking thing to like this guy that he just met at a party or this girl he just met. And then for the next like week, he's like, can't believe I said that. God, they probably think I'm a fucking moron. Oh my God. Like that's so stupid. And then he like bumped into him at like a restaurant or something next week. And he's like, look, I just got to apologize for saying blah, blah, blah. It was really stupid to me. And the guy's like, I don't even remember you saying that. <laughs> and that's, 
That's yeah. usually how that shit goes. Yeah. You like stew on something or like whether it's someone's reaction or something like you said that you think about later over and over and over again. And usually most of the time <laughs> had zero effect on the other person. They might not even remember it even happened. Yeah. Um, and I do that. I do that all the time. Like I'll be like, I've had people sitting right there and be like, yeah, I remember because that's that night I was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, I i don't remember that. <laughs> really? Because it's fucking 25 years later and I'm obviously still thinking about it. So uh, I think we I think we get into our own heads about stuff that isn't actually a thing. Yeah. And I, 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 I just know that that's yeah, that absolutely happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, um, I've had enough feedback from people i mean the owner of the kava bar is one like he told me exactly what he didn't like about me yeah, but that obviously know? was like a bad situation yeah but you know there's a i mean it's just i mean i don't know i've had enough people tell me that that know about asperger's to yeah. tell me that that i have a habit which is yeah and and it's not just what i say but it's just i don't know it's how i feel too it's yeah. how I feel like an outsider. If there's if one on one, I feel okay now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest things it took me. It's going to be awkward now because I'm mentioning eye contact. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's staring contest time, right? I'm gonna... uh, so uh, uh, eye contact. I've never been able to like make eye. Con- I, I that's why I said I said earlier. Yeah. Bartending has been one of the single best thing. One of the single best things. I don't think yeah. you could say that. Sure. But, <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. It's been life changing. Uh, honestly, it's uh, it's completely. I mean, significantly, like radically improved my social life. Yeah. Because I've learned human interaction because of that. Like you know how I was before that. Like I. I don't even know how I was before that. But like <laughs> I was always looking for the stupid joke, and I was always like, I don't know, man. I just. I always felt like an outsider in like, you know, casual conversation. Yeah. And so I learned, I never made eye contact. That's the thing. I went to a doctor, I went to a neurofeedback doctor before the one that I ended up seeing, but like a year before that or something like that, when I first got the inclination. And I remember doing the, doing the interview and I was just sitting there like staring at the ground and they were just like, so who are you talking to right now? I'm like, you guys. And they're like, well, we don't know. Like, we don't know who you're talking to. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. I didn't know you were supposed to make eye contact with people when you were when you were talking to them. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Most of the time, if I'm looking at somebody, I'm looking at their mouth move. Like it's really uncomfortable for me to look in their eyes. Yeah. I can do it now because I've trained myself, but still, yeah. it's not. It's weird. So um, uh, I was. I didn't even know. Like they were like, "How are you feeling right now?" When I was in this interview, and they were just like, "I was like, I don't, I, I don't know how to put it." Like I just couldn't come up with the words. Like that's how out of touch with my emotional. Um, response to things was, yeah. uh, and and then they had me. They they wouldn't leave me off the hook. They were like, "Well, tell us how you how you're feeling." I'm like, oh, "I'm nervous." And finally, I was able to come up with the word "nervous." I'm like, oh yeah, I'm obviously nervous, but yeah. it just didn't come to me right away. And um, so I think the eye contact thing though is, is a huge tell. Like it's still uncomfortable for me, but it I've learned to do it, and I've learned to mask the symptoms. Let's say. So I think yeah. somebody now wouldn't necessarily know. Well, oh, well, no. I've had two people <laughs> recently tell me that. No, I've had, yeah, two people tell me that they did think I had it. So that's not true. But I am able to function as a normal human being on a day-to-day basis yeah. because I've been able to compensate for it or, or mask it. Um, but there's a lot of behavior that's learned. I think that's the, that's the takeaway. I learned, I observed people 
in social settings at bars just from working in bars so long yeah. that like I, I've been able to mimic that and apply that to me. So that's been a huge life changer. Um, and so that's how I've been able to cope with it, I think. But it's still, I'm still dealing with it to this day. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the fact that like I've had one girlfriend and that wasn't, I'm 37 and I've had one girlfriend. You've had two girlfriends that I know. Well, <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. So if we count Jenny Shock yeah. and Megan O'Keefe. Yeah. Right. But Those are the there weren't much of relationships. They weren't much relationships. I've never grown with somebody. I've never had an emotional companion that I've grown with over the years. I've never been in a long-term relationship. And this is a problem. This is a big problem. Uh, because I'm, my longest relationship was Megan O'Keefe. And yeah. that was eight months. Yeah. I'm 37. Yeah. So I have talked to female friends. And, and the, the few that I've been able to confide in with them about that, they're like, oh, yeah, don't tell anybody that. So, like, I can't. It's, it's difficult. It's really difficult to yeah. know because I'm an honest person. I yeah. don't like to deceive people yeah. at all. And to well, know... So I, don't, I mean, I, I know girls you talk to said that. I, my personal advice would not be to like lie about that because yeah. what are you starting that relationship off with? No, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And it was really uncomfortable. But my, now my default response is three years. Just because it's survival. It's a survival instinct. Because I know that all of a sudden that I'm going to get written off because that's a red flag. And mm-hmm. I, on top of all the other red flags, I don't know what it is, but I mean, yeah, I have my guesses on what it is, but the girls that I'm attracted to are not attracted to me. Just date girls in their early 20s who also haven't had long-term relationships. Yeah. No, I always end up with younger girls. Yeah. I just, I'm attracted, I, I attract younger girls because... Because you're fucking adorable, Chad. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm sh- short. I've had girls... <laughs> I look young. I look young and um, I sound young. Let's be honest. I sound, I seem young, I think. Uh, I come off as young. Uh, I don't come off as like this mature 37-year-old man. Um, whatever that means. Uh, but um, but I've been rejected because, of, like from a girl that was two inches shorter than me because of my height. Cause she likes to wear heels. Like, I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I Online dating revolutionized my 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 dating life. Yeah, I didn't know how to ask girls out. So let's let's go with that. I didn't know how to talk to girls in high school. I, yeah, in high school, I started to get that girls were interested in me. I was interested in a few back, but I didn't know how to act upon it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to fucking do. Yeah. Remember Ashley Bono? Yeah. Remember I was sitting next to her at that assembly in the in the gymnasium, and. Uh, you were across the way. You and the other friends were across the way. We're sitting there across the, the gym. All the way across, you yell. I think it was you or somebody yells, hey, when are you going to ask her out? And it was so awkward. I was like, well, I guess, do you want to go out with me or something? Something stupid like that. I just, I find, but it was obvious that I, I should have asked her by then. Memory. That's how I started dating <laughs> Ashley Bono. Um, and I was so into her too. She was gorgeous, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this girl!" Yeah, I really wanted, but I just didn't know how to do it. Yeah, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. I was just so just, I I was paralyzed by fear. Yeah, and so you or somebody in our group of friends from across the way was just was like, me. I mean, it could have been me. <laughs> very well. It may, may it may not have been you, but it, basically, it was like an open secret in our friends in our group of friends. They were like, "When are you gonna ask her out?" Like just like yeah. obviously, and she knew that it should happen. So that's when it <laughs> happened. But like. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to... I still don't know. How, like, I can't go up to a girl and just talk to her at a bar. I can. 
I can go up to a girl and talk to her at a bar. I can't. But I will be in the friend zone forever because I don't know how to turn it into romantic, you know, banter or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how to transition into like, hey, let's be more than friends or something like that. I just don't know how to do that. I don't know. There are certain things that just evade me. I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. And it's something that I'm still working on. However, I will say I'm at peace with it now. Yeah. Like I would say like, yeah, in the past – I don't know, 15 years, within the past 15 years, uh, once I started to, like, understand how different I was, um, then I, um, it wrecked me, you know, for a long time, I was just despondent and just, like, you know, emotionally circling the drain, like, you wouldn't know it from the outside, but, like, at TMZ, it was really dark, at, uh, there was a time where I, like, I... Well, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 22. Uh, no, 21. Yeah, 22. And um, and then there was a time, like, two years where I was, like, I was celibate, involuntary. Oh, incel. I was an incel, involuntarily celibate. Yet, my name is Chad. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there were two. There was a two-year span during TMZ where I was completely involuntarily celibate. Um yeah, so, but I think now I'm at the point where I've just, like, uh, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm totally accepting and I love myself. Yeah. I mean, I love myself to a certain degree, I, but I don't like myself like I should. Like, like I've, I've learned that you should treat yourself like you would treat your best friend, yeah. let's say, you know. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet. But, I'm, but I'm, I'm accepting of myself and I'm, like, trying to laugh at myself more. Like that Grant Show thing at the film festival. I like laughed about that the other day, whereas before I was just like, oh my fucking God. Um, Grant Show is at his house right now going, remember that fucking Chad guy? <laughs> I wonder if I Jake? told him. I saw him. He owned a bar in Hollywood, and I remember going to the bar and talking to him. I wonder if I told him that story. I probably would have, knowing me. I would say. Why anything. wouldn't you tell that story? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'm optimistic. I think this whole, like, the notion that I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling is exciting because who knows who I'm going to meet. I'm yeah, what travels. trips do you have planned now for 2020? Uh, 2020. <laughs> You're going to hear that okay. all year. <laughs> okay, Baba Wawa. <laughs> um, uh, well, I was in Fiji earlier this year uh, in August, and then now I'm going to Europe for five weeks. Starting in Madrid, and then I'm going to work my way... That's in March? February February, February and March, because I, I like to punish myself in going when it's ridiculously cold. Um, and then I fly to Dublin on March 31st. So, yeah, five weeks of just, you know... I've never been there, so I'm just going to awesome. get it all in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use this opportunity. I'm, you know, I'm... I'm staying with my mom right now, which is a whole other thing. Do you know we know people that we graduated with that live over there? In Europe? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. But I, if I, you're listening I found... to this and I know you and you live in Europe, <laughs> even if I don't know you and you live in Europe, hit me up. We do have a couple subscribers in Europe. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> So I don't know who they are. It might just be it might just be Kara and Lindsay. If I can sleep so, on your couch. There you go. 
let me know because I'm doing the couch surfing thing. I mean, half of the time. I just booked a bunch of hostels for Black Friday. <laughs> Who? Yes, hostels have Black Friday deals, at That's least through booking.com. The best thing I've ever <laughs> <laughs> Right, as if they weren't cheap enough. Um, no, I booked a lot of stuff um, for, for cheap. So I'm staying in hostels. And One have... night for $2 and free Birkenstocks. Because <laughs> it's, it's a hostel. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Um, uh, that's cool, though. I think the traveling is going to be super awesome. I booked a trip to Tokyo. To, oh, I told you about that. Tokyo. Yeah, Tokyo. After, yeah, I booked it for... Yeah, you wanted me to go with you. I did. <laughs> well, I think we should do... So, okay, so here's why I'm optimistic, is because I'm going to be doing a YouTube channel that documenting my, my trip, my oh, travels. Oh, that's cool. And I'm going, but I'm going to be doing a parody of, like, Uh-oh. travel vloggers. Okay. Because I think people take themselves too seriously, and everybody's That's seen true. it already. There's tons of people doing that, so yeah. I just want to do a different angle on it and make fun of all of them. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, a lot of stuff that, obviously, we, we try to raise as much awareness about stuff as possible through this format and yeah uh, well that's why ADHD I, and Asperger's that's why I told you nothing's off limits because I'm yeah. like if I can help anybody yeah. like if anybody's going through the same thing um hopefully they understand that you know there's other people going through that and it's not yeah it's debilitating but you're not suffering alone because I definitely suffer and and it's not easy but mm. and the struggle is real you know, like anybody listening out there, the struggle's real. Like, I don't. There's no cure that I'm aware of that I'm that I've figured out yet. But there is. There's always hope. Like you just have to figure out how to make it work for you. And mm-hmm. I think one of the keys is, is not worrying about what people think about you. And it's an active exercise. It's not, like I can't just decide. Yeah. That hey, all of a sudden I don't care. You know what? From now on, I'm not gonna care what anybody thinks about good job karen yeah (laughs) uh that's not how it works but it's some it's you have to have a dialogue and you have to keep telling yourself you know that hey look it doesn't matter yeah it's going to make you feel that way but just because you're feeling that way doesn't mean that um doesn't mean that you need to worry about it you know just like accept that that's how it makes you feel and and move on let it go feel those emotions but know that there's nothing wrong with that, and you're human, and you can feel those emotions. But it doesn't matter what they think, you know. All that matters is what you think. And so I think that's where I'm at. It's like I'm learning. That I'm, I'm, I, I know that, and I've known that intellectually for a while. But now I'm starting to internalize it. Yeah. Uh, the fact that all that matters is what I think, and I'm starting to really like myself in addition to loving myself. Good. Yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over and doing this. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> You're in town for all of 72 hours, so. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But, but th- yeah, seriously, thank you. Uh, and by the time this is ready to be posted, I will have your stuff plugged in the intro or the yeah. outro. So you can follow Chad at yeah. blingblong at dickdocs.com. God, don't. I'm going to buy that domain. I'm going to make oh. that a thing. It's useless press. I'm taking these off. <laughs> off my head. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. How long was that? Two and a half minutes shy of three hours. Okay. <laughs>
right, you just listened to episode 20 with my friend Chad Niney, my best friend Chad Niney. Uh, a lot of things to unpack there. Chad um, revealed to me that he has Asperger's, which is, uh, I mean, I was about to say it's crazy to me, but it's not. You know, this, as much as it was eye-opening for him to discover that, applying that to the history of our friendship uh, blew my freaking mind. <laughs> like the, the effect, um, his, his lack of emotional attachment to, uh, certain events and stories. I mean, th- that's been, I talked about a little on the episode, but that was like the causation of our arguments and stuff and being able to label that. And, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable and gives me a whole new perspective on someone who I thought I knew 110%. You know, it's, it's weird when you think you know someone better than they know themselves and then you find out like, oh no, you're both in the dark. <laughs> so that was uh, amazing and humbling and I'm so glad I got to talk to Chad and I, I hope uh, anyone that might be struggling with Asperger's or uh, ADHD is able to get something out of this episode as well. If you want to reach out to Chad or follow him and his travel adventures on Instagram, he is Chad Niney, C H A D, the number nine, and then E. So Chad Nine E. See what he did there? I take credit for that. I really do. Haha, <laughs> Chad. And then you can follow his travel adventures on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Chad Nine E. Uh, you can search for Chad Nine E, or you can search Chad the American. Though I don't recommend that because when I did it, I got way too many results. I'm sure once he starts getting some videos up there, he'll get more. Um, but he's not, I don't think he's traveling until February sometime, as he mentioned in the episode. So once he starts traveling, I'm sure you'll see a lot more content from Chad the American. And he's, uh, he's my best friend. And I hope he enjoyed this as much as I did. And I hope you guys enjoy this because that's what it's all about. It's all about you guys out there. And the day you stop getting stuff out of this is the day I stop doing it. So (laughs) I'm glad that that's working out for both of us because I really enjoy this. Uh, Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Oh, side note. Let me know what you guys think of these bonus episodes. Um, I really would appreciate the feedback. Either shoot me a message, um, text, whatever you want to do. Email. You can email me justin's friend request at gmail.com i never drop that email address on here because i don't check it super often but i have it on my phone so it'll ding if you guys send me something and uh yeah let me know the anxiety episode uh the relationship episode those are the two primarily i'd like to get some feedback on how much you want to see those continue would you like to just stick with the interviewing facebook friends format I'd love some feedback from you guys. Uh, I love sitting down with the LPCs and I'd like to keep that going as long as you guys are getting something out of it. Um, The alcohol episode, I got a lot of feedback on. I really appreciate that. And hopefully that helps some people during this dry January as people celebrate. But uh, yeah, I'm at the end of the episode. I'm talking a lot. You guys have been listening to me for like four minutes, so I suppose I'll just shut up. Oh, you know, fun survey question. And I'm going to get the results through you sending them out mentally and me receiving them telepathically. What speed do you guys listen to podcasts at? I'm a one and a half myself, but I know some people are twos. Some people are like my wife is a one. She's normal speed. I can't do that. Sounds like people are drunk and slurring their words. I need one and a half, baby. It's how fast my head works. That's it. Okay. It's good talking to you guys. I love you. 
thank you for listening. This means the world. Enjoy the rest of your drive or your day or whatever you're doing right now. Okie doke. Okay, bye-bye.